as this year goes on and there are kind of more evident gaps or fissures or little holes in the current monetary system that are starting to become visible, I think decentralized finance and systems that are outside of the governance of these banks and politicians that can just print money are going to be more and more valuable resources as both stores of value and systems that human beings can trust. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all over the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, joined in studio today by the one and only David Casey. David is the founder and CEO of Resource Network, a blockchain-based mutual credit system, and the CEO of Numundo, a database and a community of impact centers around the world. David's work has centered around movement building and leveraging blockchain technology for socioeconomic transformation, and he has now spoken publicly in over 20 countries on the future of work and living, sustainable development, decentralization, and blockchain technology. David, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Andrew. Good to have you here. This has definitely been a long time coming. We've had a lot of stuff going on together behind the scenes. So I'm surprised this actually didn't happen sooner, but I'm glad it's happening now because we can have a live product to talk about with Resource Network. So why don't we just start off talking a little bit about what you've been building with Numundo over the past few years, and then we'll get into why you decided to focus on Resource. All right. Thank you, Andrew, for hosting today and for creating this beautiful offering to the world. So Numundo is a startup that I've been working on for almost six years now. And it began back when I was traveling after college and really looking for places where I could learn how to live in a new way, learn how to change fundamental aspects of my life, like understanding how to grow my own food or how to build from natural materials or basically create kind of a a grounded lifestyle that I was looking for that was more or less outside of the current like industrial urban metropolitan society and kind of in a way back to this more like agrarian tribal roots based like nature connected um, existence but also in a way futuristic because I believe that in the future many humans will rediscover these kinds of practices of um, being much more connected to their food being much more connected to nature so that was kind of the experience and journey that started me on the path of new mundo i realized that these kinds of places though they do exist and they're all over the world were very difficult to find using traditional methods google uh, i don't even know if airbnb was really around back then but you wouldn't find most of these places on airbnb And so I started to create just a simple list of spaces around mostly Latin America, which is where I was traveling. And I was meeting a lot of other travelers, um, learning a lot about what was out there, these kinds of retreat centers and eco villages and off grid communities. And everyone was asking me like where to find more of them. And I really realized there was no good resource or way uh, to find places that were vetted, that were legitimate, that weren't, you know, like weird cults or something that are, you know, awesome places where you can learn about how to unplug from the grid, grow your own food, live a healthy lifestyle, live in community with other like-minded humans. And so that's kind of what started me building New Mundo. And the way to think about New Mundo is it's not a it's not a vacation platform. It's a portal to enter into a network 
where you can actually uh, transform your life, uh, learn things and have experiences that will fundamentally change the way that you look at yourself and at the world around you. And so that's really our mission is uh, transforming people's lives and bringing them to the next step or the next stage of their personal evolution and growth. So often these journeys through the New Mundo Network are not journeys you come back from. They're journeys that take you forward in your life. And and maybe you, you never go back to where you came from, you know, because time is moving forward. So this journey that you went on when you were building New Mundo, is this what originally introduced you to the concept of like decentralized finance and blockchain technology or were you already kind of geeking out on that before, you know, on the side before you even started New Mundo? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I went to school for political economy. So I was a geek when it comes to like World Bank and IMF and uh, World Trade Organization and how international commerce and industrial supply lines work. So I've always been fascinated with this kind of the global systems that are behind everything we do and that are often invisible until you really start looking at them. When I started visiting some of the major eco-villages around the world, I learned that some of them had their own alternative currencies. And that really opened my mind to the fact that currencies are not only the realm of governments and banks, um, but actually local communities can and have been creating their own currencies um, around the world for many years, long before the internet or blockchain or digital currencies. And so that that was one first encounter five, six years ago. And I would say that in the alternative movement, like permaculture, off-grid communities, there is some awareness of crypto and blockchain, um, but not too much. Um, I, I did encounter it for the first time, like way off the grid in Guatemala, like maybe seven years ago was when I first heard about Bitcoin. And it was for one of these people, you know, going off the grid and living in nature and telling me he was like, you know, only living on this digital currency that he, he didn't have any, any dollars he was spending and he was getting all his needs met with Bitcoin. And that got me kind of interested in understanding what this kind of movement was. And back then it was really like a, this little movement of idealists. It wasn't like a, wasn't like Wall Street people at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's super interesting. That's super interesting that that's the way you discovered Bitcoin through some guy in rural Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you said that's super crucial. And I think we've talked about this before, like how prominent of a anchoring money has in people's psyche and like mental framework of the world. And once you go down this rabbit hole of like Bitcoin, Ethereum, this whole cryptocurrency ecosystem, and you collapse that frame, that mental framework that you have around like central banks and money, like there's, there's such a open rabbit hole that that opens in terms of the decentralized, you know, finance and economy that we're moving into. Actually, yeah, that brings me to another point, which is that often we were exploring how to create through Numundo and through the network of all these um, centers and spaces around the world that are um, you know, producing their own food and often their own energy, how to create some kind of exchange or barter or currency system that was within the network and independent from any outside or external monetary system or currency. So already in like 2016, we were experimenting with uh, local currencies using the uh, Kolu colored coins protocol, which was like using um, Bitcoin dust to create new currencies on the Bitcoin blockchain. And so our first currency was like a Costa Rican room night exchange unit of account where we had like 20 or 30 
of these retreat centers and, and hotels in Costa Rica. And we were just testing it out then. And that was starting to really open my mind to what you can do with a network of participants that have their own form of value and how can you leverage that value to create something that's kind of more uniform and exchangeable. Got it. And that's a beautiful segue into mutual credit. And I think I know the answer to this question because, you know, I know most of the international tourism industry comes from the West, the US, Canada, Europe into these countries. Um, so I'm assuming that once COVID hit and froze that, that's kind of kills the Nemundo business model. I guess, is that the main reason that you decided to stop focusing on Nemundo and looking into resource? Yeah, I would say that COVID was pretty pivotal in terms of the flows of international travel. Uh, our business model relied on more international than national uh, bookings. And so when cross-border travel almost ground to a halt in March, and especially in the countries we work with, some of them were locked and closed borders until like September, October, um, so most of the year. So basically, uh, New Mundo was not viable, at least in the short-term model for the COVID world. And at the same time, this field of decentralized finance was exploding. And as th this year goes on and there are kind of more evident gaps or fissures or little holes in the current monetary system that are starting to become visible, I think decentralized finance and systems that are outside of the governance of these banks and politicians that can just print money are going to be more and more valuable resources as both stores of value and systems that human beings can trust and rely on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a finite supply of Bitcoin and an infinite, it seems, amount of US dollars that can be printed. So yeah, and, and, and also kind of to connect together the segue, Resource was initially birthed out of New Mundo as a way for eco-villages, intentional communities, retreat centers to exchange value with each other by backing that value with their own products, services, room nights, you know, agriculture, cacao, coffee, uh, whatever they're producing. And initially we had been kind of like I was saying already in 2016, we'd been playing with this concept of like a room night credit that could be exchanged around by folks who who basically um, ran these retreat centers, but also they could use it to pay people or compensate volunteers or employees who could then go and travel throughout the network. And um, I kind of realized that this concept had much bigger potential than like this microeconomy of eco-villages and off-grid communities, and that it was actually applicable to, you know, a huge amount of small and medium enterprises around the world, especially places where there isn't easy access to credit. It's difficult to, you know, just apply and, and get a line of credit if you're if you're even a healthy business in some parts of the world. And then many businesses have this problem of only being able to hold local currencies of their nation state that might be very inflationary. So it's very difficult to run a business where you wake up the next day and you're, you know, you're your cash on hand is like 20% less, which can happen in places like Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, the concept of credit is a very, is actually unbeknownst to most people, especially in the US, a very privileged thing. Like most SMEs of the world don't have access to credit and banks in places like South America, Caribbean, Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia, they're mostly just kind of pocketbooks for the rich. 
and they're not even you you can't get credit unless you have equivalent market value value asset to give the bank as collateral and then it's you know it's not even a credit line it's and also um when you can get credit often it's at crazy rates like 30 percent, 35 percent, which is like how are you going to run a business if you're running up a 30 percent apr on on the money you owe <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so cool so what is mutual credit yeah, so mutual credit is kind of an alternative monetary system to the current one that we have today in the world, which I would call the compounding interest monetary system. Um, so basically, the way it works today is banks create money, lend it out at interest, and that money, the, the interest that's accumulating, doesn't actually exist. So there's more debt today than there is actual money in circulation. It's kind of weird when you think about and it. That will always be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mutual credit is basically a system of consensus amongst actors where credit is provided mutually by everyone in the network to each other. One way to think about this is multilateral barter. So it's just like a system of trade where there's all these businesses and they trust each other to the point where they're trading with each other on credit. So all it is, it's kind of a series of balances. You have your balance, which can be positive or negative. And then you have your remaining credit line, which, you know, you can draw all the way up until it's done. And credit lines can be set either in a centralized way or in a decentralized way. In a centralized way, it's like, you know, the bank or whatever system at the middle is determining the credit worthiness. And then with with things like blockchain technology, you can create decentralized systems of governance so that, um, for example, through tokens or through a reputation-based system, um, all the businesses and major stakeholders in the network can collectively vote on how to determine credit issuance and, and the rules. And this is something we're kind of transitioning towards, towards kind of a more decentralized management of credit issuance. And that lack of data sources for credit score calculation is one of the big problems in places like mm-hmm. Africa, because I mean, there's no infrastructure to provide that. Now... What about the difference between a local, like a local village mutual credit system Mm -hmm. versus like a global international mutual credit system? Because a lot of like the history of like a lot of these villages in in rural and emerging markets, like they've kind of always had sort of a mutual credit system. Mm -hmm. But once we started to just the process of globalization and, uh, you know, nationalization and banks and like that, that system didn't really apply to that brick and mortar, you know, unit economics infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so how does this mutual credit play in at different scales? Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting. I was speaking with a Chinese advisor the other day and he was telling me about growing up in his village in China in like the eighties, maybe not, not super long ago. And he was basically saying like, yeah, we know this system. This is like what we had in our village is basically everyone owed everyone else money or was owed by everyone else. And it was kind of this economic fabric of the village that became a social bonding fabric that connected the village together. And so, yeah, this is not a new system at all. Mutual credit is very old. Um, the first kind of modern, like scaled version of mutual credit that I'm aware of is called the Veer Bank. It still exists today. It was started in Switzerland in the 1930s in the economic depression. And it basically started as a group of merchants that were just chilling in this, uh, town square and looking at each other and no one was making any sales because it was the depression and they just decided to start offering each other credit and trading with each other and that grew today into a 
basically bank that, that does complementary currency loans in Vera francs and Swiss francs to many of the major SMEs in Switzerland. It's only in Switzerland, but it is a national network and it has its own virtual currency, the Vera franc, which is not a blockchain currency yet, but it is a uh, mutual credit virtual currency that's paired to the Swiss franc. And so that is kind of the first modern successful um, mutual credit system. And now with, uh, with blockchain, with crypto, we have the ability to create uh, transnational or international systems of credit. As you said, the key is the lack of data um, about many SMEs in the world. And actually blockchain also provides uh, some interesting solutions to that. So one of the things we're exploring with a few other um, DeFi projects are how to aggregate on-chain data, transactions, loans, using other platforms as well, and allowing credit companies to anonymously share data with each other using blockchain to start aggregating information on businesses and creating better credit profiles. So I think that um, this very same tool that we're building, the resource um, protocol, will actually allow us to continuously aggregate on-chain data about creditworthiness of businesses as more and more of them use both our protocol as well as many others being developed and launched right now. Okay, that's super interesting. So when you're aggregating this data, like can you or is it possible that this concept or this protocol plugs into everything going on in the DeFi world? Yeah, so that's another thing that I think is fundamentally different from all prior mutual credit uh, systems and the resource protocol and what's kind of unfolding in the world of decentralized finance. So the way that DeFi works is um, I've heard someone describe it as kind of like Lego pieces for money. So it's like programmable money building blocks where you have all these different pieces in your basket of Legos that you can choose from. And, you know, you, me, anyone who has like a little knowledge of blockchain and programming can start just experimenting with putting them together and building kind of new programmable money systems, tools, etc. So, for example, one of our advisors has a project called Teller Finance, and it is essentially a way to evaluate credit risk. Um, in order to create uh, under-collateralized loans on the blockchain. Um, so it's very synergistic with what we're doing, and it's a perfect plug-in. Likewise, there are potentially many other um, blockchain projects that either exist now or might come in the future that could leverage our own protocol, the data that we're going to be generating on-chain about SMEs. And other networks can use the resource protocol to launch other mutual credit systems based on, you know, different units of account. We're starting with the U.S. dollar because it's um, cognitively very easy to understand as a unit of account. But anyone can launch other mutual credit systems using our protocol and then combine that with an exchange protocol. So there's kind of just an infinite array of possibilities that are beginning to emerge. And I, I think we're very, very, very early in in the decentralized finance space. Yeah. For sure. And it seems like most of it is being built on Ethereum. Um, I've heard of a couple different protocols, even one on Ripple that's coming out um, that's going to allow DeFi platforms to build there. But I saw, I believe, that you're actually building on Celo. I'm somewhat familiar with them. They're like an open source Facebook Libra started by a bunch of ex-world bankers is what my takeaway from Celo is. I don't know too much about them, but would love to hear, I guess, why... Uh, well, yeah, why you chose to build on Celo instead of Ethereum? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, my uh, co-founder today was trying to describe Cello, and he said it's like if the UN, um, you know, or like, yeah, if the UN tried to create its own blockchain focused on social impact and refugees and financial access and financial inclusion, and it definitely is a uh, social impact focused ecosystem. That's one of the reasons we love it. Our approach is basically to be compatible with both Cello and Ethereum. And it is, in theory, relatively easy because uh, Celo is an Ethereum fork. So it's a proof-of-stake Ethereum fork. Up until, let's say, May of 2020, when the Celo mainnet launched, it was pretty close to identical to the Ethereum code base. Um, There are a few changes, and it is a proof-of-stake blockchain. So uh, according to like our first tests using it, it's about a thousand times cheaper and faster. Kind of just throwing numbers out here, but you get the the order of magnitude um, of efficiency in speed and and cost over Ethereum right now. I believe that uh, the Ethereum ecosystem is kind of essential to integrate into. The way we're taking it is to launch on Celo and basically integrate with Ethereum as a cross-chain asset. So basically people will be able to transfer resource assets back and forth between Celo and Ethereum. Very cool. Well, let's just close with maybe just giving a couple of like super tangible examples of like, I'm a small shop owner in Nairobi, Kenya, and I've come across resource and I want to myself and like all my village, I want to get us on this mutual credit network. Like, can you describe like what that process would be? Like, what would the are you what would the currency be backed with? Mm -hmm. And how would that work? Yeah, so the way that currency is minted uh, or issued in a mutual credit system is basically um, by a business applying for a credit line. So um, our shop owner in Nairobi um, applies for $500 credit line in RUSD or resource dollars. And with their application, they basically attach some kind of um, financial data or history. Um, and, uh, you know, this is this is like something we're going to be learning about and exploring as we as we go deeper, but basically some kind of proof that if uh, holders of resource dollars come to that shop in the future, there's a good, good opportunity to redeem it for something to buy, you know, toilet paper or vegetables or, um, you know, whatever, whatever people need at that moment. And so once that uh, shop owners determine credit worthy, they're issued a line of 500 resource dollars. So now they have a, um, basically a balance of zero um, and they have a credit line that they can draw from of 500, right? And then they can start spending that and they can go into negative. There's, you know, no interest or very little interest on a mutual credit system. You don't really need interest, um, but it's an optional feature and they can just start spending that money. And we anticipate there to be off ramps um, from RUSD into other currencies because that's kind of the nature of, of blockchain, so people can theoretically in the future convert that into other forms of value. But, you know, the idea would be to really strengthen the the resource network as a as a SME trade network. And that's kind of part of our go-to-market. David Casey, founder and CEO of Resource Network and Numundo, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. And I look forward to uh, some awesome collaborations in the works.